I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. What's the thing you've been searching for your entire life? What if the wisdom or the power that you seek isn't hidden in some distant land waiting to be discovered, but it's actually been available to you for thousands of years and you just haven't known where to look? What if the kickstart you've been looking for in your spiritual life is waiting for you? Not waiting in the new and shiny, but waiting in the old and ancient. Waiting in traditions that have been taking place in the church for centuries. He leads me in the path. In the stillness and the quiet of these traditions, God reveals himself to us. And in the asking, we find out that he's always been there waiting, waiting in the simple traditions of the church, beyond the past, beyond the present, beyond the future. They're timeless. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, it's good to see you guys this weekend. If you're visiting for the very first time, you are one week late because last weekend we gave away $110,000 in cash here at Hope Community Church. And based on the parable of the minor that Jesus told, we've asked you to take that money, multiply it, bring it back on April 19th. And we're going to use that money. I hope to grow it to a million, two, three million dollars that we use to plant churches just like Hope all over the world, churches that can impact and change people's lives because the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I hope you're putting your mina to work, okay? I've heard some great stories. I've heard some whiners out there like, I don't know what to do, but I've heard some great stories. Like I heard one small group, get this, they're gonna organize a poker game in a Harley Davidson shop. I thought, man, throw in a cigar and I'm there, maybe a tattoo, you know what I'm talking about, right, right? That sounds like a church picnic here at Hope Community Church, by the way, for the first time. But people are being creative, and I know some of you, you just, listen, it's called work. It's called work. There is no participation trophy or ribbon in the minor story, okay? You got to get out there and work, and I'm telling you, if you will do your part, God is going to do some amazing things. Just be creative. I'll give you an idea. Laura and I had given away four tickets to the Jody Messina concert, and if you missed it, you missed an incredible treat. She was absolutely phenomenal. But we were given four of those tickets back because they couldn't go. And so last Sunday, I sold two of those tickets for $1,000, and I sold two on Facebook. Somebody auctioned them off for $300. So Laura took our 40 bucks. We didn't get but 20 in the minor project, and we've turned it into 1,300 bucks already. See, now, some of you had tickets, and you didn't show up. Oh, you missed your moment. You could have sold those bad boys and your minor project would be over. But get faithful, start thinking outside the box. God is going to do some amazing things. Now, next week, I'm kicking off a brand new series we are calling 10. I'm telling you, of all the series I've been involved in, studied lately, this one has blown my mind. I have learned more about 
the principles of relationships behind the Ten Commandments. It's not just a bunch of don't do this, you'd better do this. I'm telling you there's a principle relationship behind each one that can absolutely blow our minds. It can transform our relationship with God and they can transform our relationships with each other. We're going to start that series next weekend, but this weekend we are wrapping up our Timeless series and I want to wrap it up by talking about a timeless principle of trust. This is the part of our relationship with God that is never, ever going to change. See, I used to think that when I hit maybe the age of 60, I wouldn't have to trust so much. Marriage was going to be perfect. Kids were going to be perfect. Grandkids were going to be perfect. You were finally going to be perfect. I was going to be perfect. We could just kind of throw it in cruise control because the world was going to be perfect and I don't have to trust God anymore. Yet I find myself trusting God more now than I ever have. This is a timeless principle. We're going to talk about it this weekend. And I want to begin by asking you to think about this question. What would my life look like if God was at the center of every area of my life? Think about that for yourself. Ask yourself, what would my life look like if God was at the center of every area of my life? Have you ever thought about that? And I ask you that because, see, there's a lot of us here who have been a Christian for a while, and we could all stand up here and give examples of times in our life where God began to go to work and he wanted us to trust him in some area of our life. Maybe it was something he wanted us to do. Maybe it was somewhere he wanted us to go. Maybe it was something that he wanted us to give up. And when those times come in our lives, even for those of us who have been Christians for years, most of us in that moment, we find ourselves arguing with God. In other words, instead of just trusting God when he asks us to do something, instead of just saying, okay, we immediately begin to look at the risks that are involved if we choose to do what God wants us to do. And often we find ourselves saying things like, God, listen, if I give up this relationship, because I feel like that's what you're asking me to do, the risk is that I'm going to be alone again. Or God, if I trust you with my finances because I feel like that's what you're asking me to do, the risk is that I'm gonna be poor again. Or God, if, if, I, if I risk and stay in this marriage, even though I wanna get out of this marriage, but I know you want me to stay in the marriage, the risk is that I'll never be happy again. And in those moments, we get so focused on the risk of what God wants us to do we often miss the goodness and we miss the faithfulness of God. Because you see, this is the real tragedy. In those moments, for us to say no to God, for us to choose not to trust him, often is to walk away from the very thing that we actually want in our life. For example, what if I were to ask you the question, what do you want out of life? Have you ever really thought about that? What do you really want out of life? Well, if you're here and you're single, you might say, I want someone who loves me unconditionally. I wanna be in a relationship of mutual respect. I wanna be in a relationship of mutual trust. Or maybe you're here and you would say, you know what, Mike, I want security. Others would say, I want peace. Maybe you would say, I want a marriage that's fulfilling. I want a family that's strong, that's gonna to stay together. But here's what you understand. When we say things like that, God's response is, awesome. Because that's what I want for your life too. In fact, guess what, Mike? We want the very same thing. Now, this is where the tension comes. Who's smarter? In other words, who's, who's better? Who's more qualified at getting us where we want to go? 
Now, if we're Christians, we're going to answer that question, what? God. God is smarter than I am. Say, we say that, but I'm not sure we really believe it. And we certainly don't live our lives as if we believe it. And that's why when God comes along and we're in, an in a relationship and it's an unhealthy relationship and God comes along and he asks us to give up that relationship, uh, often our response is like, God, I understand you know a lot about relationships. But God, in this situation, I actually think I know more about relationships than you do. I mean, the fact, God, that you want me to give up this relationship just kind of demonstrates how little you know about relationships because if you really knew a lot about relationships, you would leave this relationship alone and you would be okay with me being in this relationship. And God responds, that's just not true. It's because I know so much about relationships. I know what you need to be happy in a relationship. And I know that the relationship you're in, it's not gonna get you where you want to go. It's not gonna give you that fulfillment. It's not going to make you happy. Or we'll find ourselves in a situation and we'll say, God, listen, I know, I know you know a lot about finances and I know you know a lot about financial security, but I'm really questioning you on this one. Because if you really knew a lot about finances and financial security, you wouldn't ask me in my situation to tithe. You wouldn't ask me to give 10% of my income back to you. You wouldn't ask me to be generous. And God's like, you've got it all wrong. It's because I know so much about finances and financial security that I ask you to do those things. Or God, I know you know a lot about time and time management, but God, I'm not sure you understand my situation because if you really understand my situation, just how busy I am, just how important I am, you wouldn't ask me to give up my time to serve other people. And, and God's like, it's because I know so much about time and time management that I ask you to do those things. I mean, at the end of the day, you know what our problem is? I think our problem, if we were just honest, is we kind of see God like a big party pooper in the sky, right? Who just wants to kind of rain on our parade. He just wants to kind of crush our dreams and crush our goals. And it's because we get so focused on what we want instead of what God wants for us, see, we forget who we deal, we're dealing with. We forget that we're dealing with the Heavenly Father who knows more about relationships, more about family, more about time, more about finances, more about politics, more about economy than we will ever know. And because he loves us so much and because he knows us so well, at times he's gonna ask us to give up things that we feel like we want, things we feel like we really, really need to be happy. And often, even as mature Christians, when we find ourselves in those situations, our response is no. But you have to understand when that happens, it keeps us from experiencing the abundant life that Jesus Christ wants us to experience. What did Jesus say in John chapter 10, verse 10? I have come that they, and he's talking about my followers. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I like what the New American Standard says. I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. In other words, Jesus is like, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. I didn't come to rain on your parade. I didn't come to crush your dreams and your goals. I'm not some cosmic killjoy that sits up all night thinking of ways that I can make your life miserable. I have actually come so that you can experience the life that you've always wanted. But in order for you to experience what you really want to experience in your life, you're gonna to have to trust me. Now I'm gonna tell you that's never gonna change. That's a timeless principle. Now here's the real tragedy. 
the things that we often want to hold on to, the things in our life that we often refuse to let go of, things like a relationship, our money, or a deal, or our dreams, or our plans, more often than not, they're just substitutes for the real thing. They're just substitutes for the real life that Jesus Christ holds out to us. You ever had a kid who had to have their blanket? Or a grandchild? Say, I got a grandson, let me put his picture up. He's adorable, I wanna show him. That's Judah Michael. It took a lot of them, but I finally got one named after me. Guess, don't tell them the rest of them, he's my favorite, but anyway. Uh, See that pacifier? You know what that says to Judah Michael? Security. I told you we just took our kids on a cruise. Laura got an email that says, first adult passenger, free, or, or full price. Second one, half price. All kids under 12, free. All five of our grandkids under 12. I'm telling you what, we ripped off Royal Caribbean. I'm telling you right now, we did. <laughs> So we took him on a cruise. Well, my youngest son and his wife, they were having their anniversary on the cruise. And so it just happened to fall during the cruise. So we decided we would take their two little ones and they would stay in our little three foot by three foot cabin with us, right? And uh, that day, Judah lost his second pacifier, his backup pacifier. There was no pacifier. And I'm panicked because Judah is panicked. And I'm trying to think of what this night's gonna be like in our three by three foot cabin with Judah and no security, no pacifier. And literally we retraced every step we had been on this massive ship. I even went to the purser's desk and said, I will take any pacifier. <laughs> Have you found one in a trash can? Did, did, did room service find one under a room with dust all over it? <laughs> I'll boil it, right. But I tell you, I just, any pacifier, I'll take any pacifier. And they're like, well, for safety reasons, we have to throw them away. And I'm like, I'm gonna kill you. But anyway, my son literally put Judah in the stroller and went all over the ship looking, do you have a pacifier? Everybody he passed with a stroller, do you have an extra pacifier? And finally up by the pool, there was a lady who says, I have one and it's still in the package. We're like, thank you, Jesus. He got us pacifier, he got us security and he slept like a blanket. Now we're all adults, right? We know there's absolutely nothing secure about a pacifier. But for Judah, I'm telling you, that pacifier represents security. And we laugh, but this is what's sad. As adults, we do the exact same thing. We find ourselves clinging to our little toys, our relationships, our finances, our plans, our dreams, not because there's something in and of themselves, but for some reason, they've come to represent something in our life. They've come to represent security. So Jesus comes along and says, in this relationship, I've come to take away your substitutes. I've come to take away your pacifier. And in return, I'm going to give you the real thing. In return, I'm going to give you the real deal. In return, I'm going to give you what you really, really want. But you're going to have to trust me. Now understand, that is the Christian journey. That is the walk of faith. That is what it is like to trust God and is never, ever going to change. You will find yourself at the crossroads every day in your life. Am I going to do life my way? Because I know what the end result will be. Or am I going to trust God and do it his way? 
because if it's his way, it's going to be better. If you brought your Bible this weekend, turn to Luke chapter five. If you didn't, we'll put the verses up on the screen. But I want to show you a group of businessmen who had to come to grips with this very truth. And in this story, Luke chapter five, these particular men, they were in the fishing business, a very, very popular business in Jesus's day. In fact, if you study the gospels, you will find that seven of the 12 that Jesus called, they were in the fishing industry. But not only were they in the fishing industry, these are now disciples. They have spent time with Jesus. In fact, they were there, they were present when Jesus performed his very first miracle. The disciples we're gonna look at in Luke chapter five, they were in Canaan, Cana at the wedding when Jesus turned water into wine. And even though they were incredibly impressed, and even though it blew their minds, when the miracle was over, they went back to fishing. And so when we pick up the story, it's morning, they've been fishing all night, and Jesus shows up, and this is what it says in Luke chapter five, verse one. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, it's also the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. In other words, these men have been fishing all night. And so now they have to stretch out their nets. They have to wash their nets. They have to mend their nets. And then they would leave their nets in the sun to dry. And my guess is this is probably the worst part of their job. They've been fishing all night. They're tired, they're exhausted, they're hungry. They just wanna get this over with, get home, eat something, watch a little ESPN, get some sleep because nightfall, they're gonna to have to do this all over again. So you read in verse three of Luke chapter five, he, and that would be Jesus, got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. This is the same Simon who later, Jesus is gonna change his name to Peter and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, Jesus didn't do this because of security issues or things like that. Jesus do this, did this because he understood acoustics. He understood that if he was on the water, his voice would travel. More people, they didn't have PA systems in those days. He knew more people would hear what he was saying. So he's teaching them and it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. And that's what Peter said. But this is what Peter was really thinking. Stay in your lane, dude. See, this is what he's thinking. Jesus, you may be a pretty good carpenter. You may actually be able to turn water into wine, but you don't know squat about fishing. You fish with nets at night because at night it's cool. And when it's cool, the fish come up to the surface. That's why you're able to catch fish in nets. No offense, Jesus, but now in the heat of the day, this is not the time to go fishing. And we read this and we smile and we think, how stupid are these guys to question Jesus? I mean, this is the guy who actually created fish. He probably knows something about how to catch them. But the reality is we do the very same thing. We come to Jesus and we say, listen, Jesus, I know what you have to say about marriage. I've read it. But have you looked at my marriage? I know what you have to say about giving, Jesus. But have you looked at my financial situation? 
Or Jesus, I know what you, you have to say about forgiveness. I know seven times 70 is often as, but have you, have you met my boss? Have you met my in-laws? Have you met my pastor? You know, have you met my spouse? I mean, Jesus, I know you're smart and all, but I, I actually might be smarter than you on this one. You ever feel that way? Do you ever act that way? Of course, we do that all the time. But I got to give I got to give credit to Simon for how he responded. Verse five, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so. I will let down my nets. And I think this is what Peter's saying. I wouldn't do this for anybody else. But since I just saw you turn water into wine. And if I have to go fishing again right now without any rest or anything, I'm probably going to need some wine. <laughs> and we're going to be surrounded by water, so I feel like I'm in a good situation where you could do that. <laughs> Let's just go. Let's just go and get it over with. Verse 5, or verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full, but they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John and the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore. Key phrase, left everything and followed him. Notice that last phrase. They left everything and they followed him. I want you to understand as Christians, that is God's plan for each of our lives. It's never going to change. Jesus shows up in our life and he gives us evidence after evidence, proof after proof that he is trustworthy. Then at some point, this is what he's going to say. Now that you've seen the evidence, now that you've seen the proof, I want you to trust me. I want you to go all in. Now, from our perspective at that moment, it's a huge risk. From our perspective, it's a huge gamble because, see, we know what we're letting go of. We know what we're giving up to follow Jesus. But see, at this moment, we don't know what we're going to get in return. I mean, if you think about it from Peter's perspective, you know, think it probably went down this way. Jesus, I would love to follow you. See, this is how we would respond. But Jesus, I still have 15 more payments on these boats. And I'm a fourth generation fisherman. And my reputation is at stake. And if I just walk away, I'm gonna, I might lose a huge share of the fishing industry. And I got people who depend on me. Jesus, at least try to see it from my perspective. There's a great deal of risk for me, Jesus, leaving everything and just following you. But then think about it from Jesus's perspective. Peter, if you don't follow me, you have no idea what you're gonna miss out on. For example, people will name their kids after you forever. Grand cathedrals will be named after you. Not to mention, Peter, 
I'm going to use you to change the world. And one day people will open this thing called the Bible and they will learn about you and read about you and they will be encouraged by you. Peter, you would be a fool not to follow me. But yet at the same time, from Peter's perspective, but Jesus, you don't understand what I'm giving up. You don't understand what I'm leaving behind. So understand it's just, it's a difference in perspective. And it's because, see, when God asks us to trust him, the only thing we're really sure of is what's in our hand. All we're really sure of is what we feel like we need to be happy. What we feel like we need to be fulfilled. But God on the other side is saying, will you just trust me? Will you just trust me? Because I will never ask you to give up something that I won't replace with something so much better. In fact, if you will just trust me, you're going to look back one day and say, wow, I can't believe I almost missed that. I mean, as I think back on times where God asked me to let go of something that I really wanted to hang on to. In hindsight, you look back, no big sacrifice. Now, don't get me wrong. When I was in the middle of it, it was my whole world. But now that I look back, I'm like, that, that wasn't a sacrifice. That was the smartest decision I ever made in my life. That is a no-brainer. And in the same way, I guarantee you that as Peter, James, and John look down from heaven, they don't consider leaving those boats on the seashore that day. I don't think they consider that a sacrifice at all. I think from their perspective, they would say, smartest thing ever did. No-brainer. And it's because God will never ask us to give up something that he doesn't replace with something better. But the ball is always in our court. And God is always gonna wait for us to make the first move. I remember when God laid on our hearts to, to leave California and to move here and start Hope. Life was good. I mean, I, I pastored a church that took good care of us financially. We had a huge Christian school of almost 1,200 students that my boys attended free. Laura had been a music teacher, so she taught there part-time when she wanted to. We lived in a beautiful house. We had a swimming pool. It was on the West Coast. We went to Hawaii for vacation. And when God began to speak to us about leave this on the seashore and pack up your family and move to North Carolina and start life all over again, I'm telling you, it scared the bejeebies out of us. But I look back now. I could have never in a million years imagined this. And what I had to learn is this. The, the, the issue isn't what's in our hand. The, the issue isn't what we can see, what's tangible. It's not what we have. This is always going to be the issue. Is God trustworthy? That's the issue every day. Is God trustworthy? You know, I had a little crisis in my life this week, man. And I was just sharing, you ever just, you ever get out of bed and 
you just kind of feel broken. You don't know why, but something's out of sync. Something, you just feel broken, right? And I told some of my staff, I said, I just, I felt broken. And I noticed I was, I was speaking to Laura the way I, I normally would never speak to Laura. And, and this sense of, I don't know. And as Laura and I began to talk through, and I had one of those, listen, trust me, it was the day I went home early. And I said, hey, babe, I, I am really sorry for the way I talked to you this morning. She said, yeah, you need to get that fixed. Because <laughs> that's not going to work, you know. And we began to talk about what that looks like. See, for, as you talk about that, you realize sometimes to do that, you have to let go of some things because you feel God's doing some stuff. And the tension is, I know what I'm letting go of, but I don't know what God's going to do from his head. And the question is, is God trustworthy? By the way, I hear stories every day of Christians who've spent years wrestling with God over little things. I consider them little things, toys, things like toys and relationships and money and dreams. And they're, they're totally exhausted because they have just worn themselves out pursuing what they thought they wanted in life, what they thought they really needed to be happy. But I'll talk to them and they finally come to a place where they're ready to say, God, I, I don't want to substitute. God, I just want the real thing. And I know that God's loving and I know that God is patient and I know that he's kind. But when God hears that kind of thing from us, I, first of all, I think he's like, awesome, awesome. But why in the world did it take you five, 10, 15, 20 years to get here? I mean, why didn't you just trust me from day one? By the way, I'll just tell you this, the older and more established you become, the harder it is to trust God. I mean, let's be honest, when you're young, you're like, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll give whatever you want me to give. You know, you tell me what you want me. But see, we get older and we have more to lose. The risk factor goes up. And that's just not true of individuals. That's, that's true of churches. Gracious, when we were young and had nothing, shoot, we trusted some God. We had nothing, you know. When we were given this property on Buck Jones Road, we had a thousand people. This building that we designed, we knew we didn't even have enough people to give enough money. Forget pay the mortgage on it, maintain it, pay the electricity. So God put us next door in a gym where in less than three years, we grew from a thousand to over 3,000 people while we watched this building being built that we couldn't afford. But by the time we walked in, God had provided. We used to have stupid faith. We are like, there's a mountain, let's go for it. We lived like that all the time. And this was what happens. The bigger you get, the more you have. And risks get a lot scarier. I'll give you an example. We're doing our best, everything we can, because man makes his plans, right? To launch a Fuquay campus this fall. We're working hard, man. We're negotiating with all kinds of people trying to get a facility and all this going on. Out of the blue, out of the blue, I get a text on Tuesday, a guy that goes to Hope. Hey, Mike, you still want a campus in Durham? 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> Two days go by. Finally calls me. Yeah, I found a church here. If you want a campus, this is just kind of where I am in life. I'll buy it and you guys can just lease it back to me, you know. And you know what my th first thought was? Oh, that's not in our 2020 plan. But what if it's in God's plan? What if God's like, yeah, I know, Fuqua, yeah, yeah. But I want to do more than you could ever ask or imagine. But you're going to have to trust me. You leave the details of how it's going to happen to me. And this is what I've had to learn. I've had to learn that if God is trustworthy with $20, He's trustworthy with $20 million. See, the issue isn't what we have. The issue isn't what's in our hand. It's not, it's not what's it, the real issue is, is God trustworthy? And if God is trustworthy, it doesn't matter what he asks us for. If God is trustworthy, it doesn't matter what he asks us to do. I'm telling you, for some of you, God's got a red sea that he wants you to walk through. For some of you sitting here listening to me, God's got a giant that he wants you to kill. For some of you, God's going to ask you to get out of a boat and trust him and walk on water. But let me tell you something. If you don't believe that God is trustworthy, you're going to miss out. Do you think Moses ever got tired of telling the story of the day he stood on the shore of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army closing in behind him and God said, lift up your rod and the sea parted and he walked through. You think he ever got tired of that experience? Think about that. You think David ever just got exhausted from telling the story about as a teenager, how he walked out into the valley of Eli with a slingshot and killed a giant? You don't, you don't think that every time Peter sat down with a group of people and had a beer, he didn't say, did I ever tell you about the time Jesus asked me to get out of a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and to walk on water and it was like walking on concrete? Do you know what our problem is? We're like, well, man, if I'd have lived then, if I'd have seen Jesus turn water into wine, walk on the water, feed the 5,000, if I'd have seen him raise somebody from the dead, if I'd have seen him after the resurrection, man, I would trust him. Well, let me tell you something. Just like the disciples, we see him in action every day. Just walk outside and you'll be reminded that we're living on a ball of dirt, hanging in the middle of nowhere, 93 million miles from the sun. If we were 1% closer, we would fry like ants under a magnifying glass. If we were 1% further away, we would be popsicles. On top of that, it rotates every 24 hours right on schedule. Nobody gets up in the morning wondering whether or not the sun came up. Nobody opens the curtain and says, oh, there's that big ball of fire. I guess I'll get dressed and go to work. I'm telling you, we've seen him in action and he's proven himself over and over. So here's my question. In what area of your life is God asking you to trust him? And from your perspective, it may seem risky to say yes, but I'll tell you this, and I'm speaking from experience, it is far riskier to say no. Because you have a loving heavenly father who has your best interest in mind and to obey and follow him 
It's going to cost you. But not to obey and follow him. Oh, it'll cost you far, far more. And so would you just be wise enough to say, God, I'm just going to take my focus off of what's in my hand and I'm just going to focus on your character. I'm just going to focus on your faithfulness. I'm going to focus on your track record and I'm going to be like the disciples. I've seen enough proof. I'm going to trust you. I want you to see the story of someone who had to make that decision. Watch the screen. In 2013, my wife and I made the decision after a lot of prayer and thought, we made the decision to leave California and move to Illinois. I had a great job lined up. We make the move. I get there and three weeks later, our CEO was removed, his staff was removed and I got my pink slip. Here I am in the middle of Illinois I don't have any family there. I don't have any job prospects. And I have a wife and four children. I remember getting my first unemployment check. And I was faced with a harsh reality of, do I give, which I know I'm supposed to do, or do I use this money to take care of my family, which is what I'm also supposed to do. We're taught at a very young age to give 10 off of the 100 or you know, give one out of the 10. And so inherently, I know what I've been taught, but it's very different when you're staring at a refrigerator with no food, when you're looking at a pantry that's bare and you're looking at four kids and it's almost lunchtime you know, that's when stuff gets real. Um, and there are times when we look at the stories in the Bible and we go, well, that was great for the widow in Kings, but that doesn't help me right now with my four children. And I remember going, okay, I'm going to do what I know I have to do. And God, I need you to do what you said you're gonna do. This church called me and uh, they need someone, they just had an artist cancel. They need someone to do a concert and they need someone that can teach. And so uh, it was like a youth conference or whatever. And they ended up giving us uh, enough money for the next four months. You know, fear stops you from doing the things that you know you're supposed to do. And, uh, and it was trying to grab a hold of my life. And I, and I believe also in that moment that there was something amazing that happened because I allowed God to have the opportunity to work a miracle. And we wouldn't be here today. I would not be at hope today if it weren't for me making the decision and no matter what, I'm going to trust God. See, when you decide to live that way, <laughs> Sam used the word fear. This is what happens. Your fear 
intersects with God's faithfulness. And when that happens, I'm telling you, you experience God like never before. In fact, this is what you discover. You discover that there's a whole new world, there's a whole new adventure that God has designed just for you. But you'll never experience it if you can't get to the place where you actually trust him. This principle's timeless. It's never going to change. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Let me just ask you the question before I pray. What area of your life is God asking you to trust him? Maybe it is in the area of your finances. Maybe it is in the area of your time and that area of serving. And even though Jesus said, hey, if you want to be great, serve, you're not quite so sure. You know what's in your hand, but you don't know what God has on the other side. Maybe you feel God's calling you somewhere to do something. I want you to understand the balls in your court and God is waiting for you to make the first move. And that's going to require trust. But when you do, watch out. Father, thank you for this principle, hard principle. And we're stubborn. As many times as you promise and as many times as you're faithful, we still dig in our heels and say, but God, this time I think I know better. I think I see this more clearly than you do. And he's like, yep. But if you'll trust me, your fear is going to intersect with my faithfulness and I'm going to blow your mind. Father, I pray you'll get us there. And may we walk by faith because this is the life you've called us to. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find out ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. 